Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au.
3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan uh, with Sally Goldner. My pronouns are she, her. Brought to you noon till one every Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. 3CR broadcasts from the lands of the Kulin Nations and we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. And hello to any Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people tuning in and acknowledge that all the lands were stolen and never ceded. Uh, Out of the Pan is a show covering pansexual issues, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. There's lots of ways to get in touch with the show um, via all the modern means of communication. Out of the Pan 855 at gmail.com. You can SMS 61456751215. You can tweet at Sal Gold said so, and that's the bottom line. And you can look for posts on Facebook on my page, Sally Goldner, or on Out of the Pan, 3CR, 855 AM Melbourne. And remember, any opinions that I express on the show are strictly my own and not those associated with any organisation with which I may have been associated or are associated. Thanks to the crew from Out of the Blue, Diving Deep, for the marine news, as they always do, talking penguins today, um, in the words of Bugs Bunny. And uh, we opened up with Pink and Get the Barty Started. Um, I had to play that. Oh, what an awesome moment. Um, everyone is, um, people in tears everywhere. Um, of course, um, Ash, um, who idolises Yvonne Gulagong Corley and winning it for her, wearing the scallop dress, and of course, um, at the end of NADOC week, um, just too beautiful. Um, what an event. Um, so, yeah, hashtag Barty Party. And, well, um, if you if Ash Barty and Jimmy Barnes run on a joint ticket for um, PM and Deputy PM, and I don't care which has which role, I'll vote for them. <laughs> two, or, two people who have just developed um, as beautiful humans um, over time and very, very awesome. Um, but the party is also for uh, well, it's an in party, uh, in studio party for me and my guest today. Um, we're partying away here. It is my pleasure to welcome to the three CR airwaves. No stranger has been on in your face four till five Fridays a few times. Um, good to have him in though today. Uh, Noah Reisman, welcome. Well, welcome back to three CR. Thanks so much for having me, Sally. And uh, I'll just quickly throw out um, my pronouns are he, him. And um, yes, I was also up late last night watching Ash and my partner and I were just, you know, having the, ah! <laughs> you know, the ups and downs. But it was, oh. Oh, it was amazing, though. It was amazing. Oh, look, definitely. I, I'm normally tucked into my little bed by 11 and I made the effort as well. And um yeah, sort of the end of that second set where um, she lost the tiebreaker. Like, oh, nose, nose, nose. But she steadied and she rallied, and she's just. I just, I just love her authenticity mm. and her, you know, sort of humanity, and that she's grounded. I mean, yes, um, fame of say sport or arts or something can go to people's heads, but um, or they can, you know, it's been too overwhelming. She just seems like she's so centred as a human. I'm sure she, of course, has amazing tennis skills, but I just wonder how much of that makes her an even better player on the court that she's so grounded. Absolutely. And, you know, we keep hearing about all the, pardon my French, the douchebag male tennis players, and you're just like, well... And, and people excuse it. They're like, oh, but, you know, it's a tough sport. They've got to do this. I'm like, no! Look at people like Ash. You don't need to be a douchebag. And congrats to her on... I mean, I don't know how accurate my twitter or facebook feed are of of australian society but i i don't think i can at least since my time in australia i can't remember another moment that it seemed like everyone in australia was watching the same event 
and cheering for it and just it, it was a good distraction from all the other craziness going on right now well this is very true um the, the craziness we do um the difficulties that particularly um people in sydney and surrounds are facing um we down here feels yeah um we went through it for 110 plus days last year um i don't think you're going to be that long but it's going to be a little while yet and sadly i think there were 70 cases uh, new cases announced this morning i just had a quick look before we came on air probably be a few hundred plus days but um please just do the right thing up there stay home minimize your contact and all that sort of thing and you'll be back out there with us as soon as possible um so yeah um and yep um saying i think i can't gosh i can't remember if i've said it on air or off but ash barty and jimmy barnes for joint ticket for national leaders and we'll have everything solved by five o'clock next friday with some good leadership that is a segue because i'm interviewing um people who identify as part or parts of our lgbtiqa plus rainbow slash queer communities uh, on leadership and well um i have um, noah with me today well i could say start by saying um and I um, want to also give thanks to um, Xavier, um, one of our um, – with three, 3CR, of course, doesn't have regular listeners. We have awesome listeners. So one of our awesome listeners um, – I'm not sure if I got to these just towards the end of the show um, last week, um, but thanks, Sally. Just wow, what an eye-opening interview. Thanks for bringing these stories to the broader community. Thanks for Community Radio, and kudos to you for bringing this to the show every week, um, week in, week out. Well, thank you so much and said that both my, myself and Dion were inspirations, which is very nice. But um, we need, you know, we need to be uplifted like Ash Barty but the, and the queer community we know need that sort of uplifting at times. It hasn't always been easy. So I won't start by saying, tell me the Noah Reisman story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not gonna... It would be a short and boring one if you did. <laughs> but, um, you know, well, yeah, let's pull a few pull a few critical moments out, and you know that keeps it neutral. Could be highlights, could be challenging moments um, that relate to your journey and how you identify under the proverbial rainbow, and you know, sort of uh, what sort of things come to mind to just get us rolling here. Sure, and you know what? Before I watched Ash last night, I was watching Love Simon on TV, and so the timing of this question is interesting because I was thinking about myself a lot yeah, when I was yeah. watching that, and. I love that movie, um, and I'm a, a cis white gay man, and I know that our stories are, well, even amongst cis white gay men, we don't all have the same stories, mm. but they're obviously quite different from a lot of the other parts of the rainbow alphabet. And um, um, thinking about myself, just when I was watching that, and in general, it, I was 19 when I first realized I was gay, uh -huh. and I was even watching the scene where Simon told his good friend, who was the first person he told, and I was remembering the first person I told, which was my friend Liz when I was at university. I was shaking, I remember, mm -hmm. when I told her. And um, it was at night, and we'd sort of gone out to one of the lawns at the university where I was studying, and I remember, like, shaking in my voice when I told her, and just, she was like, it's okay, it's, it's fine, and that's obviously why I told her I knew she wouldn't mind, and then I remember the second person being nervous, but it did get easier the more people I told, and I was even thinking the other day when I was walking home, or I was walking somewhere, maybe not home, but... I was even thinking then, you know, and again, I count myself privileged. I know not everyone has this experience, but I can't remember the last time that I haven't been open, if that makes sense. I've oh, been, cool. I've yeah. had an open and out life as a, as a gay man, partner for, oh God, he'll, he'll kill me. How long have we been together? 15 years, partner for 15 years. And I can't remember the last time I wasn't out and open. And I, that's really good. I think that shows 
a lot how far society has come. But again, I also acknowledge that not everyone has that experience. So there's obviously ways to go. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but just those are, I mean, the first was just that moment, I guess, was when I first came out. But it's hard to think of moments because it's so much a process for people. And uh-huh. you're, you're out to some people, you're not out to others, you're, you're more taking leadership roles in some sectors, but, but then maybe being quiet in others and seeing, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a process. So it's hard sometimes to think of moments, but just that one when I first came out to the very first person I was thinking about last night. Yeah, well, let's let's, let's sort of um, work through all that, unpack that. Um, so, if that you know coming out was about twenty years ago, um, you know, um, it was exactly twenty years ago, actually, Sally. It was exactly twenty years ago. Now that you mentioned that, in April. Oh, oh, April's a good month to, to come out. <laughs> I didn't celebrate the anniversary. I should have. I look, look uh, there's a lot now. There's more things to unpack here. Um, I believe you know, as, um, if we, you know, obviously it's our choice, but I think that it is important to mark dates of coming out um, for trans people. Say dates they started taking hormones for those where surgery is important or surgeries, whichever um, dates. I think these are things that need to be celebrated. They're like our queer birthdays, spiritual birthdays, etc. So I think that's really important. Um, and I've got to say as well, um, April 27, 1995, which is uh, my <laughs> spiritual birthday. Did you know that's two days before my bar mitzvah was? No. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. L'chaim. Well, there could be Jewish in-jokes on this show today. Probably. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, um, these are all the things that, um, you know, sort of we need to do, but... The thing is, you know, it's it is important to note that it wasn't easy coming out. You know, in I'll just keep this in say say Victoria or in you know cities in Australia, large cities, even in the um, late nineties, and that's for mm. anyone under the rainbow. And of course, as you've rightfully acknowledged, and I think that's a really important point. We still, of course, have degrees of difference, whether it's um, say G L B T. Um, I'm not going to say intersex people necessarily come out. It's a different, um, I think there can be some differences there and it's not my lived experience. But of course, then we look around Australia, it could be vastly different to come out in in a Melbourne where, um, well, we were just listening as we settled into the studio, the Pride Centre had its official launch today compared to say somewhere, and I know I'm, I don't want to stereotype, but outback Queensland or Western Australia or something like that could be um, you know, all other things being equal, being different. So there's all these things. And I think the thing you've shown there immediately by acknowledging that is a sense of empathy and thinking beyond yourself, which in line with our conversations on leadership is a, well, I think it's almost a, it should be a basic quality of anyone in a position of leadership. Oh, absolutely. And I think we'll probably, I have a hunch we'll talk about this, is it's sad how much it's lacking. Um, mm. Both not just within within the LGBTIQA plus community, but within all sorts of communities. But there is sometimes a tendency to say, well, this was my journey and therefore my journey is representative. Mm. And if your journey is different, then what's your problem? Um, I, some, I, and I don't, I, you know, I'm not trying to say a lot of people do that. I'm not trying to say only a few people do that. But, you know, as, as we'll probably come to, I'm a historian and a lot of my research is oral history. So I meet all sorts of people from all walks of life. And it, there are quite diverging experiences and diverging opinions. And, and it's just interesting that those different experiences and opinions might formulate how people live their lives and relate to others and some with more empathy than others. Well, look, this is very true, and I mean, dry humour joke as an educator where if we have time in a session, we share 
um, whether it's myself or myself and a colleague um, in our work, um, share a bit of our personal stories. The running joke is, um, so you've now heard two trans stories, which means you've heard two trans stories. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that could be broadened to rainbow, queer. And that's the, and that's the thing. And on the positive side, um, you know, sort of one of the guidelines for the bi discussion group um, which um, in which I'm involved every month is that everyone's journey is valid where mm. you know whatever your background however you got to wherever you are now um, you know we need to affirm that and I think this is you know of course one of the things we face in queer communities from those who would um, for some reason I'll say vehemently dis- disagree with us um, is that they unaffirm they deny um even our sense of self and our identity and who we are and what we've been through and how did you know and well how do you prove it nee, 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 nee. and i think and, and it's a stuff. it's a slightly different angle sorry i didn't mean to cut you off there it. um, it's a slightly different angle but also um when some people and maybe i'm stereotype well i'm not stereotyping when the conservatives the re- the religious right the those who hate our community will have a member of our community who has their particular lived experience and has views that maybe align with theirs, and they say, well, this person agrees with me. Therefore, what I say as a person who is actually demonizing the majority of the LGBTIQA plus community mm. is valid because this particular member who I know, who is my friend, who I've spoken to, well, they agree with me. Therefore, what I'm saying, what they say represents your entire community, and now I am not a transphobe when I say X. I am not a homophobe when I say Y. Um, it Rather than being more, well, that's an experience. That's a view. It is not the view. It is not the experience. Mm. There is no the experience. There is no, There are dominant, and this is one of the things as a historian that I try and talk about mm. is dominant stories, dominant narratives, dominant patterns, whilst also acknowledging diversity and different ex- difference even within the dominant stories. Well, well, look, definitely there are. Oh, just got to get the number right. About eight billion experiences, at least. <laughs> Is uh, that what we're at now? <laughs> I, I've lost track. I, I like Me too. Seven point eight, eight billion. Um, well, you know, a couple of hundred million. Oh, who's t- who's counting between friends? Um, seriously, um, you know, everyone's experiences. But yeah, let's talk about the fact. Um, well, the fact that the you know, situation that you're work is you're an historian and um, you're based um, not within the block of 3CR when you go to work. Um, tell us all about that and how that relates to this issue, the issues that we're talking about here. Sure. So for those out there who don't know, I'm a historian and I work at Australian Catholic University and we can certainly talk about that too if we want. I get asked about it all the time, but the short version of it is it's actually a far more affirming and accepting environment, at least for me, than people might assume based on the name. But that's a whole other story that might take a the whole program. Um, what? So my background, um, I do LGBTIQ plus history. My previous research was looking at the history of LGBTIQ people in the Australian Defence Force. And I've written quite a lot on that. And you know, there's a few books on that. And if people want to go read them, that would be lovely. Um, but of course, part of that is the T um, for the trans experiences within the Defense Force. And as part of that research, I interviewed about a dozen trans members of the Defense Force past and present. And one thing that became really clear from interviewing them and learning about their life experiences and their experiences in the Defense Force is you can't understand the experiences of trans people within one particular institution without knowing the much broader history the legal, the social, the mm-hmm. medical, the media, all of it, because it all influences on those life experiences. And so from that, I 
then moved into a different project which has been ongoing and which has brought me into contact with Sally and is part of what's brought me here today, which is looking at the history of trans people in Australia since the early 20th century. And I've been doing this work for the last few years. As I've said, a lot of it is oral history based. I've done about 70 oral histories with trans community members, past and present. Uh, well, I mean, they're still present. I mean, past is and perhaps much more active in the past. And I also approach this knowing that I am a cisgender male. So I do try to work closely with various stakeholders, organizations, partners along the way. And when I do write stuff and present stuff, I try to do it as much as possible where I can center the trans voices and perspectives as an ally, knowing that these are not my stories, but I don't know, I'm a facilitator maybe is a good word yeah. or something to try and get them out there and promote these stories and these voices. And that was a long segue explaining what I do. But to go back to your question of leadership, I suppose maybe... I don't see it's funny I don't see myself as a leader Sally. Look, I do in other aspects of my work and life, but in terms of the LGBTIQA+ community, I absolutely don't and that's because I th see a lot more people, a lot more active, a lot more putting themselves out there doing work that I think is much more fundamental and I see those people as as bigger leaders where but I do see my role or my envisioning of leadership in general is I think that word facilitate that I just said of trying to get voices out there and perspectives out there and stories out there that people individuals have known some segments of the community have known it's it's if very interesting when you hear the same story told by sally and then you know someone like jonathan pare who tells the same story and julie peters tells the same story but then trying to compile those three versions of the same story and put it out there in a platform that a lot of people who are younger or who maybe weren't identifying as part of the community or might be allies who back in the nineties weren't allies. Well, not weren't allies, but weren't paying attention mm. to be like, this is what was going on in 1990s in Victoria. This is what was going on for trans people in 1990s Australia. And for people to be able to learn from that, um, Sorry, very long-winded answer to your question there. Um, we'll go with the word facilitator for the, for the moment. Yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are other words we can use too. Well, look, I'll go with your word, although uh, I have to say a word that did flash through my mind. You're, you're a conduit in a sense. <laughs> I almost used that word, but then I thought that sounded just too wrong, but that, that could be another one. <laughs> but you're not shocking. I'm sorry, that was a pun. Um, <laughs> um, an electrical pun. Um, did want to acknowledge one thing, of course, you, your um, history, which I want to talk about a little um, you know, in detail, can't, you know, it starts early 20th century, and of course, there have been people expressing their gender and mm. identifying their gender authentically on this large island and smaller ones around and all places on the earth since time began. Oh, look, and, and I acknowledge that. I think the reason we started early 20th century for this project is was a logistics that you can only do so much in a project. And so, of course, everything I've written, I've acknowledged mm. since time immemorial, the, the long traditions of gender diversity within Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, which today you know, often identifies sister girl and brother boy. Um, but the look, I think the reason when, when we wrote the project grant that we said it at early 20th century was because uh, apologies for the offensive word, but this was the word at the time, um, transvestism. That's mm. when that word was first coined. Yeah. And that's when you began to see a discourse around trans or transness. So that's, look, yeah. yeah, the project itself is looking since early 20th century, but I, of course, acknowledge you, we could go back some time immemorial if we if we were really determined to. And maybe that's a that's another project for someone else. That's <laughs> it's a it's a huge one, although I know there are a couple of um, um, books um, that are either in the works or 
um, maybe even been published, I've got to follow up on that, that are looking at a history of, well, gender in a broad sense of that word um, over the world since time began. And um, um, C.N. Lester, um, fabulous non-binary person from the UK, um, you know, sort of um, covers this in their first book, um, Trans Like Me, um, to a little bit, but it's a you know it is a, definitely a book or a paper mm-hmm. or seven PhDs in in it in the, in itself. Exactly. But I'm going to throw it. Here's the, here's a tricky question, the curveball one. Can you have a go at defining leadership? Defining it. See, that's a really. Oh my god, you are trying to trick me. You had a. Copy you know what? You I'm gonna. Leadership. I'm not gonna define it. I'm gonna do. This is a very bizarre analogy, but. It's hard to define fascism, for instance, mm. and I think it's also hard to define leadership. But what we can say, I would say, is there are characteristics uh-huh. of leadership. And I think different people exhibit different characteristics in different styles. And thinking through some of those characteristics, I think it's the, the big picture. It's about taking people on a journey. Mm-hmm. It's about having an aim and having coming up with strategies to get to that aim and taking people uh, again on that journey to that aim. Uh, those are the first characteristics that come to mind, but they're so broad on purpose because there are different styles and approaches to get there thinking about myself. And I know that I, as I said, I, 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 I do see myself as a leader in other aspects of my career and my work. As I said, I less so when it comes to LGBTIQA plus community. But in general, my leadership style, I like to think of is about listening and affirming. Um, and I say that based on my own lived experience as a leader, but also as being someone who often hasn't been listened to or hasn't been affirmed in various aspects of life. And I think that you, well, I've said this to lots of people, including some of the senior hierarchy at my workplace. I say, look, we're, you're never always going to get your own way. And that's totally fine. I think partly because of that diversity of perspectives, diversity of voices and diversity of what people want, whether it's for some aspect of the LGBTIQA plus community, mm-hmm. whether it's about health, sport, the law. I mean, I don't know, like anything, anything. You're never always going to get what you want, but you want to know that the people in the positions of power or the people in positions of influence who aren't always in power are at least listening to you and doing it in such a way that they're respecting your voice and affirming your voice. And even when they're not agreeing with you, they're at least taking you on that journey so you can understand why they've mm-hmm. taken a different approach. Or they can say, well, we've taken this aspect of what you've said, and but we've also had this other perspective, so we've come up with this instead. And I think it's really – I applaud people who can pull that off. It's not an easy thing to pull off mm. to get people who didn't always agree with you to still go, yeah, but I feel like you, you did this the right way. Um, but yeah, sorry. Again, another long-winded answer to your question, but my short answer is – it's, I don't think you can define it, but you can characterize it. And those are some of the characteristics. Yeah. Well, look, um, I, I think that you now I'm, I'm going to challenge you in a really nice, easy way this time. I oh, think, good. Phew. <laughs> I think you're on, I have to say with all, I say totally, I think you're underestimating yourself because I try to either characterize or whether we or define leadership as transference of strength. Now you are transferring mm. your listening skills, your love and knowledge of, of history and how to research. 
there's you know forms of strength that you are giving, and as as you as you identified yourself as a cisgender um, gay male as an ally to the transgender diverse non-binary community. So there's a form of leadership, and sometimes I think we all you know can do this where we don't even look at our own strengths. Um, you know, uh, or a lot of us can. I won't generalise, but you know, it's that thing where we don't even we underestimate ourselves too much um, because it's just maybe we just love doing it. We think, oh, isn't that how the world's <laughs> in inverted commas, supposed to be. So I think there is a lot of um, leadership on that. And the other thing, you know, taking people on a journey and setting goals so they grow, um, sure, you're not a life coach. It sounds, a bit, <laughs> sounds a bit like that. Yeah, I know it does, doesn't it? So, you know, I think there is a sense of leadership um, in there um, that but, is really, you know, really important in terms of what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I, th- I totally agree with you in terms of affirmation. Um, you know, we just haven't, um, you know, sort of really, you know, sometimes we don't do that. And yes, it can be difficult in our rainbow communities and communities that have faced negativity because we're hurt, we're traumatized mm. and, you know, trauma comes up and we feel like we're being traumatized and re-traumatized and, um, we can't, we're not quite maybe in the, in the proverbial present moment. And I think there's a lot of that in there. So if you've got that ability to listen and hold, um, views that I'll say are either apparently or actually in conflict. And of course, that's a debatable thing. (laughs) You know, perception is reality. And of course, they're bits of both. Then I think that is a strength of leadership. That's very kind of you. And actually, I will take your compliment. And I'll actually, I think you've, you've just added a really important point to my characteristics of leadership is that word change. And I think it's the ability to influence change. Um, Perhaps why I'm a little less forward to put myself as a leader in this space is I see myself as documenting and trying to promote and highlight the examples of change that others have have been able to push and facilitate. And that's what and it's also because I've met and interviewed so many amazing people who've been so influential. I mean, I, I, yourself is one example, Kayleen White, Julie Peters, I got to meet the wonderful Roberta Perkins before she sadly passed. Mm-hmm. So I, I suppose maybe it's when I see these people who really have influenced change for the better for LGBTIQA plus communities and those examples I just gave specifically trans communities, that's why I'm sort of like, no, I'm not. I, look, maybe I'm, te- I'm telling great story, not telling, sharing, sharing great stories of people who have facilitated change. I don't think I've facilitated change, which is why maybe I'm hesitant to put myself up there. But I do thank you for your compliment because I think you are right in part different leaders and people who are doing different activities play to different strengths. And I think that that's, I, I would totally agree with that. And thank you for the compliments on some of my strengths. Well, that's the thing. And when we start then putting in everyone's strengths together, we build a better community society. Mm. And, you know, there is that thing out there, um, you know, called an economy as well, which you know, <laughs> is a part of our life. And if that can be done ethically just for once, then we're away. I'm going to just need a little bit of a breather. So I've got a track lined up, which um, I hope you will like. And we've got a couple of messages to get to after we come back. Um, so let's um, have a br- um, just have a halfway pause and um, a message or two and a track. And then I'll continue my conversation with um, historian and, um, well, um, reluctant, modest leader, um, <laughs> Noah Reisman on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au, 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan with Sally and guest Noah. And here's a Bob Seger track.
Bug Radio, 10 to 10.30, every Monday morning on 3CR Community Radio. All things to do with cycling in Yarra Region and around Melbourne. Listen in. CR 855am, 3CR digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR on demand. Out of the pan with Sally, first broadcasting noon through one every Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. We just heard from the Bob Seeger system from somewhere way back in the early 70s and um, from the, the title track of an album called Noah, which um, anyone would think this show was planned because my guest is Noah Reisman, um, who is many things, um, including historian and lover of queer history at um, and many other things. And we've had a couple of question um, messages come in from one of our awesome listeners because that's what 3CR has. Um, Hoffler's um, said, proud of Pride Centre today. Any thoughts from your guest? And pleasantly surprised with the depth and diversity of speeches at today's opening. Um, very nice and incredibly moving. And has added a few minutes back, Mike, um, about um, 10 minutes ago, Michael Kirby speaking now. So you, you can watch the Pride Centre launch back, I would think, on YouTube later. But your th- um, are there any thoughts? 
Oh, oh, big questions again. Look, I think congratulations, I'd first say, to the to the organizers and the openers and the planners and everything that's gone into this. I mean, congratulations to them. As the historian, I would invoke history in that actually this is not the first Pride Center in Victoria, although it's Ooh. the first of its kind. Well, I don't know much about the other one, but it's mentioned in um, Heritage Victoria did a... 100 historical places and objects. Oh, yes. Yes, and buried in that is the mention that in the early 80s, there was briefly this other place that was called the Pride Center um, set up by the community. And so it's actually the second time there's been one in Victoria, which I think is a fun fun little fact that I didn't know until I attended the launch of that um, that document when Ro Allen mentioned that. Um, uh, I would say, uh, look... I'm very looking forward to visiting the Australian Queer Archives there. Um, for years, they've bounced around from different locations, and they've been mm. very fortunate that the then Victorian AIDS Council, now Thorn Harbour Health, always gave them a home since the late 90s, I believe. And now they have their own home at the Pride Centre, and that will probably be my first visit, will be to use their reading room. Um, beyond that, look, I don't. there's a lot of community organizations there. Different people will go for different reasons. I'll be honest, St. Kilda is a bit of a pain for me to get to. Mm. Um, I always joke that, well, I, I always joke that St. Kilda is a bit of a vortex that sucks you in. It's very easy to get there, but you can never seem to get out. Um, but in terms of the speeches and the opening, just in part because I was on my way here and we're obviously doing this, we haven't heard much of them, but Sally and I did catch the tail end of Dan Andrews' speech and it's pretty damn good, I have to say. And I did like his references to the North-South Divide, which, <laughs> made, which made me go, well, exactly. Why have you put this in St. Kilda? Put it somewhere more convenient for me. But Regardless, look, congrats to the people who opened it and to those who will be housed there, you know, Joy FM. Um, TGV's going to have a partial presence there, I That's think. Right. Isn't that right? Uh, and Well, um, not speaking officially for TGV, yeah. which I can't do, but we'll be maintaining a joint presence at both um, 100 Drummond Street, Drummond Street Services, Queer Space and more, and also at the Pride Centre, which I think is good. So we're trying to span. We're trying to You're span spanning the north-south north south divide. divide. <laughs> Ding. Ding. Yeah. So, look, that, that's, that's my thoughts on it. I think it's an interesting initiative and, you know, I, I hope it. I hope it looks as fabulous as the drawings suggest <laughs> when I when I see it in person. Well, look, you know, looking at the video, I did. I'm um, hop, hop into the station early today to just um, watch it prior to the show. It does certainly from the outside looks pretty cool, and what I can see from the inside. Um, and you know, the the thing is, I think that was just to clarify for our listeners that was the other announcement that um, to try to um, everyone trying to bridge this north south divide. North south divide. There's going to be a sort of a sort of festival march in this um, festival type of thing in the streets, which was of. Um, planning for which got underway, of course, at the start of last year, and of course, delays, delays, as Marvin the Martian said. Um, but um, there's going to be a, cel- a belated cel- um, sort of commemoration, celebration of 40 years of decriminalisation of um, consensual sex. Um, that will happen in December in here in Smith Street. On the north side. And I think the Premier said that it's going to become an annual yeah. event, which is great, but I'm sort of like December, but midsummer's in January. It's a bit close, but... <laughs> I'm oh. sure someone will work it out. You know, everyone wants to party, so why not? Well, that's right. One big queer, one big queer celebration. A big um, queer summer every summer. That's right. Well, this is, you know normally the thing is is of course um, you know well I'll say pre-COVID we would sort of all stagger through our year to Christmas and then collapse in a heap for two weeks and then turn up for Midsummer Carnival. Now we'll have extra reason maybe to collapse in a heap. I don't know. Correct. <laughs> But um, you can collapse in a heap after exercise and sport. And I wanted to ask you about that on a totally different tack because yep. um, you wanted to talk about it. You 
you're a bit of a, in a way, a sporty spice. Well, I didn't used to be. So mm. I used to have, look, when I was a kid, I played soccer, but I hadn't done sport in years. And then about almost two years ago now, I got sucked into playing and I say sucked in not in a bad way because I'm absolutely loving it, for the Southern Lights. And for those listeners who don't know, the Southern Lights is Melbourne and Australia's first LGBTIQ plus and inclusive ice hockey team. So I am now an ice hockey player and I'm... I was about to swear by accident there. I absolutely love it. It's so much fun. We have just such a great team, a great vibe. Going out there weekly and getting on the ice. The team I'm on right now mostly plays on Saturdays. So that's how I spend my Saturday afternoons and evenings. And, oh, yeah, it, it, it's oh, it's great. It's just so much fun. And so now I've accidentally converted to a little bit of mini sportiness uh, in my life <laughs> through because of this. Well, look, I'm, you know, sort of on the same. I was Flabby Spice for years. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I, I don't think I've bored. I think I've bored the listeners enough with my how I took up swimming about three and a half years ago, thanks to um, City of Darabin, who were the first to get in with one of the trans swim nights. Um, and, you know, there I was, a couple of laps, and now um, three lots of 20 laps three times a week. Although I have to say Friday morning, Two um, two degrees was a bit much. I delayed until lunchtime when it was a balmy <laughs> eleven degrees, and it's not really sport. Is it an outdoor pool or an indoor pool? Outdoor, but it's, oh god, it's once you get in, it's, it's still open this time of year. Oh, it's heated, so it's okay. um, you know once you get in, it's twenty seven, and off you go, and your hands thaw out, and there we are. But um, I think that is, a, you know, it's an issue for um, queers. We're often whereas talking. I'm like going to a sport that we intentionally get cold and go on ice, you know, yes. <laughs> like <laughs> padded up and all that. Yep, um, um, sort of on ice. Um, sounds like a, re- a refreshing, um, a, a cold beverage, as Stone Cold Steve Austin, my hero, Yeah, used we've to had say. plenty of jokes about the other ways that might be interpreted among <laughs> plenty <laughs> well, of other jokes about that. Yes, we'll, um, we'll save those for off here or after exactly. nine o'clock or something. But, um, you know, seriously, um, you know, queers in sport is an issue. We know mm. that sometimes queers haven't, you know, fitted in in sport. The fact that we still don't have an out gay or bisexual player at AFL men's level, of course. Or even past, even retired, we don't. Yeah, um, well, there's the thing, past or or present. Um, Lots of lesbian, bisexual, queer women, of course, um, past and present in AFLW. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that my personal theory on that, I know I'm digressing a bit, is that I think they need to sort of, there's got to be, got to, of course, be more than one past or present, and I think two or three people perhaps need to do it all at once to deflect the attention. Sally, I think you just stole my... That's what I've been saying for years, because, look, maybe I'm being a bit naive and generous, but I actually think that the professional AFL is probably more accepting than we give it credit for, Mm. and I reckon that there are gay players, bisexual players, who are out to their teammates. Like, I reckon they are, and they're living their lives, and their teammates probably are more supportive than we give credit for. But no one wants to be the first to be the public one that has to face the media and all of the scrutiny and the extra attention. So I reckon that there's probably a dozen. They probably all know each other. They should all come out together at once. That That's my personal take. But, you know, I could be wrong. There probably is homophobia. Of course, there's homophobia going on there. But I also think that we, there probably is more acceptance than we realize and give credit for. I, th- I think so, too. And I mean... Um... No, it's here's an interesting one. I mean, where was it? About two thousand and nine. I remember um, um, Professor Caroline Simons, or is it Doctor? I um, ho- highly regarded sports academic put out her research at that point, and <clears throat> you know Jason Ackermanis, who former oh. player, and I know. Well, that was my response, and you know, sort of a bit of a um, sort of well wannabe shock jock. Um, mm. 
But what he was trying to say was that there was, you know, it wouldn't be easy to come out in his badly communicated way, probably. And I think he, to some extent he was right. But you would like to think now in, you know, sort of, um, you know, in you know, increasingly in Australia that um, there's a chance that an AFL M, M player can come out. Yeah, and I think the reason I the reason I rolled my eyes and did the to Jason is he didn't just say it wouldn't be easy to come out publicly. He also said it wouldn't be easy to come out to your team, and that's yeah. where I think that's where I, as I said before, I actually reckon they are out to the teams. But that said, there's also dare I bring it back to my ice hockey team? Like there, you. there is an important role that that queer sporting clubs play. Um, I would say for me personally. It wasn't because it was a – well, it was in part – it wasn't that I didn't – so, oh, God. See, I'm all over the shop here because different people join queer sporting clubs for different reasons. Yeah. And so I can speak to my experience and some of my teammates. But also my partner used to play for the Melbourne Chargers. And so I know quite a lot of people who've, who've played with the, the Chargers, the gay rugby team, past mm. gay and inclusive rugby team, past and present. Some people, it's because they were interested in a particular sport, but because of – homophobia when they were younger or biphobia or you know just bigotry mm. let's just say bigotry in general when they were younger were turned off and this is a safe space for them to come back to that sport for other people um it's who never they might have never even thought about the sport but it's oh well this will be a safe space i'm interested in trying out ice hockey or soccer or football or mm. you know rugby or whatever and so they know this will be an environment where they can do that and they can do it safely and and be included for others, it's a social thing, um, just sort of looking for a way to make friends, meet people and, and you know, get a bit fit in the process. And so they join for the social side, knowing that it's another LGBTIQ plus space. For me, how I got involved in the ice hockey team was actually the reason I say I got sucked in is like I wasn't necessarily even thinking about ice hockey. I wasn't necessarily thinking that it would be a homophobic sport and I'm not interested in, in my experience and it's part the team I play with and in part the, the league I play in, we haven't come across homophobia. I know it has happened at the professional level um, mm-hmm. a little bit, but in the lower levels in ice hockey, Victoria, I haven't seen it happen. Um, but for me, it was just, I knew how to skate. <laughs> like I, I, you can hear from my accent. I grew up in the U S I knew how to skate. I think it was, um, uh, midsummer of 2019, they had one of those come and try it out days. And I did, and they sort of split us into two groups, people who had never skated before and didn't know what they were doing. And those who had played ice hockey before. And I was like, I want to fit somewhere in between the two of these. Cause I know how to skate, but I've not played ice hockey before. I went up going with that group and then went out for a little meal afterwards. And the vice president of the club was like, oh, so who do you play for? I was like, what are you talking about? I've never played in my life. But he was really encouraging. And the club, we don't do it enough now, in part because of the lockdowns, all the arenas, the, the three ice rinks keep opening and closing. But but in they used to we used to run a once a month, just a social skate for anyone to come. And so I started going to that. And then I didn't play in the Southern Lights first season, but I did play in their second season because all of a sudden this email went around. And it's like, all right, we need people to sign up and just pay. And I was like, all right, I'll just do. I'll just do it. And the next thing I knew, I was playing my first game. I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> I didn't. I had no idea what I was doing. I went way offsides, and then like, and got got the whistle blown on me for offsides. And the ref, who was actually really nice, pulls me over because he just goes, "I know you're learning." But you just went offsides, and I think you need your coach to explain that to you. And I was like, okay. okay. And I got off, but and she did. She's like, okay, this is what offsides is, and I, I, 
I've never done it so ignorantly again. Every now and again, you get caught. I get caught off sides, but not like. But it's just been so much fun in the club. The people are absolutely amazing, and as I said, different people have joined for different reasons. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of allies who play for us, and we've gone from that first season before I played. There was one team. The season I joined, we had two teams. Then lockdowns happened, but we got restarted in November, December last year after the big lockdown. We had three teams. This season we have five teams, our club. And and I was saying to you, to Sally before, I don't know of any other queer sporting club in Melbourne that has five teams. Um, that's how quickly we've grown so fast. And we are actually known within the, the beer league that we play in. It's called the beer league because <laughs> it's meant to be a social league. And, and after each game, you get a free beer. And if you're a non-drinker, you can get a soft drink. So, <laughs> but, yeah. so it's called the beer league. But within the beer league, our club is known for having a really good reputation of having a great culture because, oh. of course, we want to win and we do win. We, we don't. Like we do win games. One of our teams was in the grand final for their division last year and we're runners up. But if we don't win, it's not the end of the world. We are known as an encouraging club and our skill levels go from just learn how to skate all the way through to some really good people who are really good and they play for the better team, of course. So cool. I'm obviously very proud of my club and I encourage any listener, if you have any inkling, we're called the Southern Lights and you can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, or go to our website and you can put in an expression of interest form. All of our five clubs, all of our five teams, we play in Reservoir, which I don't live anywhere near Reservoir, so it is a bit of pain in the ass. But luckily, one of my very nice teammates, who's this big, burly Icelandic guy who also lives in the western suburbs, usually gives me a lift. And every car ride with him is another adventure. Um, so he's <laughs> hopefully amazing. not because of his driving. No, no, because of the stories. Because of the stories Sorry, that he tells, it's pretty funny. It's pretty take. funny guy. But this is the guy who, you know, he's an ally, and you know, he early on was like asking me questions about you know queer culture and things and it's been learning experience for him and for others and you know now i he we're trying to teach his six-year-old son to skate so i've been going skating with him and his six-year-old son and actually this is kind of fun we've been going to o'brien arena which is the one in the docklands for that and they they on certain weekend mornings have like a family for under eight it's a family thing with which is a really good cheap rate and so we've been getting that and i think all the staff there think we're the two fathers um which is totally fine i just think it's funny i'm like i'm pretty sure the staff think you and i are both his father and he's like eh, oh well <laughs> <laughs> yeah now look it is re- it is really cool and i, I i'm <clears throat> you know sort of catching the enthusiasm as you're talking yes yeah, you. you can't maybe the listeners can hear the big smile on my face and if you talk to me two and a half years ago you'd be like noah ice hockey what and all, my dad grew up playing ice hockey uh-huh. my dad is so stoked that i've taken this up because i had no interest whatsoever as a kid and my dad's like what why what so he's so proud and he watches our matches on youtube um afterwards so it's yeah it's <laughs> had this really interesting family dimension there too <laughs> Well, there's so much in that. There's the joy of it, um, you know, sort of um, so many things. Um, and, well, you, you get, get a free beer afterwards in the words, I've got to say it in the words of my... Um, <laughs> or a know, soft sort of, drink if you're not a drinker. <laughs> or a soft drink, but um, in the words of one of my heroes, Stone Cold Steve Austin, throw me a beer, I'm thirsty. Um, that's Al Gold said so on Twitter. But, um, you know, sort of, um, it's, I think that ice hockey, I, I, the thought struck me, I know it's, you know, we've got skates and then we've got wheels with roller derby. And roller <laughs> derby is, you know, to me, what I hear, one of the most queer inclusive mm, sports, past exercising things out there. 
Um, so I just wonder if there's a sort of parallel there that really... There's more than a parallel, Sally. A lot of our players, and not just on our team, but on a lot of the ice hockey, are former roller derby people. Um, uh-huh. And because the skills are transferable. So uh-huh. we have a lot of former roller derby players, um, some queer identified, lesbian, trans. We've, we've got... We've got quite a few of them, and they're some of our best players. The ones who, the ones who come across from the roller world, they're really they they pick it up so quickly because I think once they get used to the ice, all of the other skills are are they've already got them. Yeah. <clears throat> well, look, um, I'm I'm still working out how to work in medium walk in medium heels, so it won't be, <laughs> won't be for me. That, see, that's the the joy. But you know what that means, Sally? You have balance skills. If you've got, it's the balance is the key thing uh, ah. that's transferable. So you actually could probably find if you put on a pair of skates and have a few a few goes around the rink. Oh, I think I'll need a suit of armor rather than just padding. But um, <laughs> um, that, that is not, now I'm getting visions of Bugs Bunny and Nighty Night Bugs. Anyway, well, and also we're the we're the Southern Lights. The as I said, Melbourne and Australia's first team. But there is now, as of this year, Sydney has the Harbour Lights. And we're very excited. There were plans to have an exhibition match against them in September, obviously. Who knows now? But, you know, we're very hopeful that Brisbane, we can get a Northern Lights. Perth, we can get a Western Lights. I don't know what would happen if Tassie got them since we're already the Southern Lights. But it would would be great to see this um, expand. And I also know that um, the Southern Lights is part of what's called i think it's lgbt lgbtiq ice hockey australia mm. or maybe it's australian lgbtiq plus ice hockey and i know that the leaders and look there's a bit of a blurring because they're basically the leaders of the southern lights tend to be the leaders of that as well but they are doing work with the australian ice hockey league on issues of inclusion and diversity because as i said there have been a few incidents of homophobia that have been known about um and, and so they've done work with them just as the Melbourne Chargers and the Sydney Convicts and the Perth Rams have done work with Rugby Australia, just as those various roller derby clubs and others have worked. So so there's it's great because it comes from the ground, but also the peak bodies, often when they start listening, sometimes there's a lot of banging on the door to get them to start listening. True. Often there's an incident that sparks them realizing, oh, okay, and then they will turn to the clubs. But better late than never i suppose but a lot of those peak bodies will work with the queer sporting clubs to try and facilitate change more broadly which is a great thing definitely um yeah so just a, a few thoughts um that come in come in before we we better start wrapping up because we only got a <laughs> Sorry. couple of minutes of time left we haven't even talked about the history <laughs> well that's something else we're going to have to squeeze in so that and just some final thoughts from you but just a couple more messages um Hoffler is multitasking today um Dr Caroline Briggs um made a great speech at the Pride Centre lawn oh, good. and now and Mama Alto singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow, as she oh, does bless. so well. Um, tongue-in-cheek. Hi, boss. Mama Alto, the new CEO <laughs> of Transgender Victoria. Um, and, um, you know, so there's sort of lots of wows going on there. And um, a couple of other things i just got to mention, random thoughts that I think are important. Um, interesting story today about a former conservative um, Liberal Party politician, Michael Yabsley, coming out at 64, which I think oh. is a story that, you know, I know people might criticise the Liberal Party, but, you know, um, yeah, I think we need to acknowledge our rainbow seniors, perhaps on a day like this. And I forgot to mention at the start when I got all excited about Ash Barty, um, of course, congrats to Dylan Alcott. As oh, well. my God, of course, yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, um, major blue on my part to not get all that diversity in. But And can I throw a quick criticism to Channel 9? Shame on you for not showing the Dylan Alcott match. 
Live, yeah, it was on after afterwards. We're I think it was on Stan TV, but it wasn't on Channel Nine. Shame oh, that's on them. right. Yes, yes, you're quite correct. Yeah, I did hear that. It's like no, boo, boo, hiss. Um, yes, um, Channel Nine, um, an Australian champion, just as important as Ash or any other Australian champion therein. We've got a couple of minutes left before we need to um, wrap up and make way for um, freedom of species. Um, we'll be talking um, to the, on the show today about um, reporting on plant-based meats. Um, because they do all things animal advocacy on freedom of species. Um, and um, But we've got to mention two things quickly, the trans history report and also just any final thoughts um, that you have. doesn't have to be le- directly to do with leadership, and then we'd better um, close it down. Well, look, yeah, so I would say the project I've been doing on Australian trans history is still ongoing, and I'm still interviewing people. So if there are any trans or gender diverse listeners out there who would be interested in doing an oral history interview, please do get in touch but um yeah that was one of the outputs because you know as academics we're always generating lots of things from the research was a report on victoria's transgender history which transgender victoria very kindly published um and it is available online for free and it was meant to be about sharing the again the sort of dominant stories the dominant narrative of the history of social legal medical and living experiences of trans and gender diverse people in victoria and that report does actually go back earlier than the 20th century but most of the information is from the 20th century and and it's just a i don't know it I don't say it, it's based on a lot of wonderful people who were willing to be interviewed, people who I actually would call leaders. Um, and it's and also a lot of the records they very generously shared. And it's just one example of the type of, of things that I'm trying to produce. I'm I've been agreed to produce something similar for New South Wales that Acon is going to publish next year. Mm-hmm. Um, we're aiming for Trans Day of Visibility for that to be published. And I'm still working on bigger stuff. There'll be a book that comes out of this eventually. But it is about trying to get information out there. Because I, I know we're short on time, but last year when there was a Zoom launch of the Roberta Perkins Legal Project, Indeed. I remember when people were talking about the history and there were quite a few people in the chat saying, we want to know more of the history, we want to know more of the history. And so, again, it's about getting that out there and and so that people can learn this history, both trans people and allies, cis people as well, because it, it, it's it, it's a really important history that hasn't been shared enough. And yep. so the more we can share it, the more people can learn and hopefully with that learning progress even better going forward. Yep. Well, look, keep leading us with your history work, with your <laughs> ice hockey work um, and, and fun, um, most of all. No, an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Um, better wrap it up there. Um, make way for freedom of species. Take it out today with Shirley Bassey and the propeller heads. And well, it's just a little bit of history repeating. Noah Rise McCain. Can't help yourself, Sally. Thank I you. Can't help Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being on Out of the Pan. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week. about there's something evolving wherever may come the world keeps revolving they say the next big thing is here that the revolution's near but to me it seems quite clear that it's all just a little bit of history repeating